1, verses 13 through 27. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of the truth, that we might be a kind of fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly except the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not regretting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look out after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep on oneself from being polluted by the world. As we continue to look this morning in the book of James, and we'll spend today finishing James chapter 1, and the next two weeks we'll be in the book of Romans, we are spending a few weeks trying to lay a foundation to help us form a solid biblical theology for trials and adversity and difficulty. And James chapter 1 is a classic text of what to do as we experience that adversity in our lives. The first part of the chapter that we looked at last week, verses 1 through 12, uh, helps us to understand to some degree the purpose of God as we go through adversity and difficulty. Today, as we look at the passage that Ryan just read for us, we're going to see that uh, now James will teach us how we can respond to adversity. So let's think for a few minutes this morning about this idea, our response to trials, our response to suffering, our response to adversity, whatever words you choose to use to indicate that season of life in which we walk when it becomes difficult. This is something that is certainly applicable for most of us, at least to some degree, right now as we go through this time of of dealing with Uh, this pandemic that is still seemingly at our front door. Uh, We don't want to settle down and get used to it because we we believe it to be a season, but how do we respond during that season? If we come out of this season, which we will when we come out of this season, we will face other seasons of our lives in which we have difficulty, in which we have adversity. What should our response be? So I want to take a few minutes with you this morning and share with you from James chapter 1, verses 13 through 27, four responses 
that we as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, four responses we can make as we go through difficulties and adversity, as we face trials. Let's jump right in. Our first response is this, refuse to blame God. Okay, this is our first response. It is a refusal on our part, refuse to blame God. You see, when we go through trials, we can look at them through one of two lenses. We can look at it in a positive way. We can look at it in a negative way. And we can look at God's activity in our lives in those trials in either of those ways. We can look at it from the positive perspective, and, and we can determine and decide that, that it is God working in us, God working through our adversity, and he's doing something good even though we cannot see it. So taken this way, this, this positive way of, of looking at our difficulties and God's activity in those difficulties, we determine that the goal of God is to develop us. There's a negative way in which we can view adversity and seasons of difficulty in our lives. We can view the exact same circumstance as a way that God is tempting us toward evil, that, that God has planned adversity in an attempt to defeat us. And so we can either look at this as saying that, that God's goal is to develop us, or we can look at it by saying God's goal is to destroy us. Which one is it? Well, James helps us understand that God's goal for us as we go through adversity is for us to move toward him in the midst of suffering rather than running away from him. That is why James says in verse 13, to let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Don't assume that God has sent a trial into your life to inflict pain in your life. Don't assume that when you go through a difficulty that it is God who is causing the difficulty. Now, now James is not saying that God doesn't allow evil. There's a difference in God allowing evil to be used toward his greater purposes and his intending evil to harm us, destroy us, and defeat us. You see, when we go through difficulties, when we have uh, times and seasons to where it's tough, we want to blame someone. And God is an easy person for us to blame. And so James corrects our faulty thinking by telling us in verse 14 that each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. This sin that James is referring to isn't the sin that led to the trial. We know that there are some trials and some difficulties that we go through in life that are not due to our sin. James is referring, watch this, James is referring to the potentially sinful response we can have towards God once we're in a trial. 
As we go through the trial, we have an opportunity to blame God or to bless God. And James is saying our response should be a refusal to blame God. Satan entices us and tries to lure us into thinking that suffering, that our suffering is God's fault. He's try, Satan tries to, to get us to think and to conclude, God, you've allowed this trial because you want to hurt me, because you don't love me, because you've forgotten about me, because you have abandoned me. <clears throat> and to do so, to, to take that stance, it births sin into our lives because in so doing, we doubt the very nature and the very character of God. And so James begins by saying, let's make this response. Let's refuse to blame God. But there's a second response that James calls us to make. And that is that we need to remember the nature of God. This is our second response. We refuse to blame God, and instead we remember the nature of God. You see, if Satan tries to deceive us, the only way for us to counteract the deception of Satan is to remember the truth and the character of God. This is why verse 16 tells us, do not be deceived. Don't fall for Satan's lies. The only way to avoid being deceived is to understand and live according to the truth, to remember the nature of God. And so what James does for us to, to help us not fall for Satan's lies about God, James then reminds us of who God is even in the midst of our trials. I love what he says. James tells us that our God is good. God is good. He says in the first part of verse 17 that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Let me stop here. Let's just think about this. God is good. Let me ask you this question that maybe you can discuss over lunch today. Great philosophers have sat down and tried to figure it out. Not so great philosophers who sat in seminary classes and tried to figure it out. Are we what we do, or do we do what we are? Are we what we do, or is it that we do what we are? It's, it's my belief that our essence impacts our actions that what we do, we do because of who we are. For example, I believe that uh, doing bad things doesn't make me a sinner. The fact that I'm a sinner is what makes me do bad things. And yet you, you could you split hairs, and at the end of the day, it's not that big a difference which side we come down on. But to understand God's nature, think of that concept in this way. God only does who God is. God only does who God is. 
and God is good. Therefore, the only thing that God can do is good. Because he is good, he must do good. He can only give what is good. God is 100% good. It is impossible for him to give something out of evil intent, out of, uh, out of, uh, out of an evil heart. Uh, evil, hurtful, painful things cannot come from a good God. And James calls us to remember in our adversity, our circumstance may not be good, but our God is. Our God is good and our God is faithful. That's uh, another aspect of his character that he calls us to remember. When we remember the nature of God, God is good, but also God is faithful. Look at what he says in verse 17, that every good, every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That those good things that come to us from God, they come from the Father of lights. That's an interesting word. That refers us, that word lights refers us back to Genesis. In creation, God created a light to govern the day, and a light to govern the night. Sun, moon, stars. The sun, the moon, and the stars, those lights have something in common with the one who made them. They are fixed, they are permanent, and they are constant. And what James is reminding us is that not just is God good, but God is faithfully good. God's goodness to his children is constant. There is no variation. It's not just that he's good, but he's always good all of the time, even if your situation isn't. And when you're in difficulty, you need to remember that God is good and God is faithful, but God is also gracious. He's gracious. Verse 18, James gives us an example of how good God is. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Note the contrast. Again, as we think about how God is gracious, note the contrast of verses 14 and 15 where James says that sin gives birth to death. And then in verse 18, James says that God gives birth. He brought us forth to new life. Here's what that means. The fact that God is gracious. James is referring to our salvation, which is accomplished by the grace of God. And listen to me very well this morning. The same God who gave his life on the cross so that he could give you eternal life is the same God who is seeking to give you life in this season of adversity, in this trial that you are faith facing. He is birthing something something in your life that you cannot see. You see, the thing about the birthing process, it is a painful process, but it has a beautiful result. And so it is as we remember the character of God, that he is good and faithful and gracious all the time. 
in spite of our circumstances. So we refuse to blame God, and instead of blaming God, we then remember the true character of God. But our third response is very simple as well. We listen to the voice of God. Our third response as we face adversity, listen to God's voice. So there is something that God will speak to our hearts as we go through adversity. God often speaks, in fact, the loudest as we're suffering. Of what C.S. Lewis one time said, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. The pain we experience, Lewis, C.S. Lewis said, it is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. This is why James says in verse 19 that we need to be quick to hear during a trial. God wants to produce righteousness in our lives when we go through adversity, but that righteousness cannot be produced if we don't stop and listen to God speak to us during adversity. Therefore, as we go through these difficult times, instead of remaining angry at God, instead of continuing to doubt God, let us seek to listen to God, asking Him to reveal Himself to us in the midst of our trial. We make the decision in adversity. These are decisions we make today to refuse to blame God, to remember the character of God, to ask God to speak as we listen to His voice. And the fourth response and the final response is this. Anchor yourself in the Word of God. Anchor yourself in the Word of God. Again, my goal this morning is not to give you philosophy. It's not to give you ideas that you might can try. These are things you can latch your hands upon right now and do in your life. If the Word of God is not your anchor, then today make the choice to anchor yourself in the Word of God. What keeps a ship stable in the middle of turbulent water? It's an anchor. We need something to anchor us. We need something to keep us steady in turbulent times. And James echoes the teachings that he heard Jesus teach as he walked with him as a disciple. James tells us that our anchor must be the Word of God. You will not find the anchor that your life needs from a self-help book. Self-help is one of the biggest oxymorons you'll ever hear because how can something broke, which we all are broken, how can something that is broken fix itself? There's not enough good positive vibes you can send your way to steal your heart in turbulent times. The Word of God must be our anchor. But that doesn't just happen. It's not that we wake up one day and the anchor is there. For the Word of God to be our anchor, we have to take some steps that James outlines to make it the anchor. And the very first thing he says is that if we're going to make the Word of God the anchor of our lives, we've got to receive it. We have to receive 
the Word of God. He, he tells us in verse 21 to put away filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. We receive the word with meaning. We come to God, we say, God, I want to know you and your word. As we receive the word, he says, we then practice the word. After we receive the word, we, we practice the word. Now, I want to <coughs> camp here. That's I always, whenever I cough, I feel like I have to clarify, that's allergy, not corona, okay? Just so you're safe, or so you know you're safe at home. After we receive the words, I'll be out in the town, I'll see somebody cough, and I'll go, uh-oh, I'm getting away from them, and then I'm doing it. Practice the word once it is received into your life. Listen to me. God's goal is not just to get you through a trial. He wants to get you through a trial, but that's not his only goal. God's ultimate goal is for you to get more of him as you go through that trial. And James talks about a mirror. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. You know what the purpose of a mirror is? Ultimately, the purpose of a mirror is transformation. You want to look in the mirror to see what is not in place. <laughs> you want to look in a mirror to see how you look. The ultimate goal of a mirror is to help you see the faults so you can fix them and be transformed. That's the difference, James says, between a hearer and a doer. A hearer doesn't practice the Word of God. A hearer just looks to God for a moment, and when he doesn't get what he wants, he walks away from God and forgets. The doer comes to the Word of God with a goal of transformation, and the difference is in how we look. Now, the, the, the Bible text in our English Bible, it uses the same word in verses 23 and 24 as it does in verse 25. It uses the word look. But in the Greek, it's different. In the Greek, the Greek word for look in verses 23 and 24 means to glance quickly and then turn away. The word for look in verse 25 means to peer into it and to study intently. In adversity, you will approach the Word of God in one of two ways. You will either glance at it and there's no immediate result, and so you walk away, no transformation, no anchor, or you will peer into it. You will say, God, what are you trying to show me right now? I just don't want to hear your counsel. I want to do it. You receive that word. You practice that word. But ultimately, to make the word the anchor for your soul, you demonstrate that word. It changes you. And when God's Word changes you, we begin to demonstrate it, even in adversity. You can know if you have been transformed in adversity by how you demonstrate or share the Word of God and how you live. 
Verse 27 tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The person who is transformed is now going out and being a ministering agent to others who are suffering. Watch this. If you remember last week, how does chapter 1 begin? Chapter 1 begins being addressed to the dispersion. Followers of Jesus who were facing adversity, and because of that adversity, they had scattered. They were being chased and pursued away from their homes, their families, their friends. They are under intense persecution because of their faith in Jesus. How does the chapter 1 of the book of James end? It ends with that same group of people, persecuted believers, who are now going out and ministering to orphans and widows, the most helpless and defenseless group of people who in their culture constantly faced adversity. What happened? Their transformation led to the demonstration of the gospel. I want to read to you a verse that it's not in your, it's not going to be on the screen, it's, it's not in notes that I intended for you to receive, but it's a verse, a verse of scripture that I want you to, to think about. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You must have an anchor to respond to adversity in a way that God desires, and that anchor must be the Word of God. Listen, it's very simple this morning. Trials are going to come. Adversity is going to happen. And when that occurs, how will you respond? One of two things will happen. Either your trials will dictate how you view and understand God, or your understanding of God will dictate how you view and respond to trials. As I said last week, the ultimate hope that we have as we go through adversity, and we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks even more in depth, our security and our hope in trials. But ultimately our hope comes from Jesus who entered into our suffering for our sin. In fact, he is the one who suffered to pay the price for our sin. Do you have a relationship with that Jesus today? Has there been a time in your life when you cried out to God, confessed your sins, and asked him to be your Savior? See, even though we're in this awkward time, God is still in the business of involvement in our lives and transforming our lives. We want to invite you to take the next step that you need to take in your life. That next step might mean that you need to talk to someone about what it means to be saved. That next step for you, it may be right now that you are crying out to God 
asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If that's the decision that you've made, one of the first things we want you to do is share that with someone. I'd love for you to share that with me. If there's other decisions that you need to make, I'd love for you to share those decisions with me. Maybe you are already a believer, but you have never followed the example of Jesus in baptism, and God's been dealing with you on that. Maybe you have been baptized, and maybe you've been kind of playing church. Maybe it's here at this church, maybe it's some other church. But this absence of being able to connect with the body of Christ has reminded you that you need the body of Christ and maybe your next step is to make a decision to pledge your faithfulness to the bride of Christ by becoming a member. I don't know what step it is that you need to take but I know that I would love to to spend time with you talking and sharing about how we can help you understand what that next step is. So if you'd like to take the next step and whatever that step is there's an easy way for you to let us know. Again, just go to our website, fbcmilton.org, and you'll see on the front page of our website a graphic that says, My Decision. Just click that graphic. It'll take you to a, a, a brief form that you fill out that you tell us what decision you want to make, and we'll get in contact with you and give you some resources as you take that next step. You can also text the word decision. Phone number should be on your screen. That number will again get you to some information that you can share with us. We won't fill your mailbox or your inbox with spam. We just want to give you some resources to help you take that next step. If you have questions, you can always email me at jrussell at fbcmilton.org. We'll be glad to talk with you about the next step you need to take in your walk with Christ. As we prepare to end our time this morning, we want to make sure that you are aware of a couple of things that we mention at the front end, but we also want to mention on the back end so that we know that we've covered our bases. We have provided an update for you about uh, our plan going forward as it relates to operations and procedures here at First Baptist Church, both with our church office and with our ministries and meetings. We posted a video of that on Thursday. You can find that video on our Facebook page. You can also find that video on our church's YouTube channel. So if you will go, it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, but if, uh, if you, for some reason you can't find that, give our church office, uh, shoot me an email or, or leave a message on our voice machine and I'll make sure that you get a link to that that explains to you all those things in great detail. Our office remains closed this coming week, as does our church campus. We are closed this coming week. Uh, we will again provide for you on Wednesday online, Facebook and YouTube. We will provide you a Wednesday Bible study adults. Uh, then we'll have some other things going on for students and, and children. And those leaders have been communicating with you about uh, those, those activities if they involve you. So we want you to participate in that as well. Uh, you know, giving is an act of worship. And so if you are, are missing the opportunity to give, you can still do that even though we're not physically here. If you're watching this, you are connected to some type of online experience, and so you should be able to uh, just go to our church website and find the link for giving, and you can give through that way 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's safe and secure, 
or you can also mail that to our church office. The address is again on our church website. You'll be able to find that to mail that in. Do remember that next Sunday, as you heard before, next Sunday we will be online only again. 10.30 a.m. We'll meet right here once again for a time of worship, part three of our Survivor Series. I hope that you'll tune in. Before we uh, end our time of worship today, I want to pray for you and for your family. So if right where you are, if you bow with me while we pray. Father God, I'm thankful for this opportunity that we've had today to worship. And God, I'm thankful that we were able to experience your word speaking to our hearts. So God, we pray now that as we seek to live our lives in this weird world this week, that you would equip us and enable us to do that in a way that would honor and glorify you. Father, help us to respond to trials in the way that your word teaches so that we can endure, we can come out refined as by fire and be ready to be used by you in greater ways than we can ever imagine. Father, I pray if there's anyone listening, tuning in to us today, whatever next step they need to take, God, I pray that they would be compelled to make that decision, to take that step, and Lord, help them to know there's a family of faith here at First Baptist Milton that'll be right beside them each and every step of that way. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday.